Borak Dog Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Eli, and this is the first episode of the Judge Dredd Magazine Primer podcast, where two Americans try to establish a foundation of knowledge to come to grips with the Judge Dredd Magazine. This episode, we're talking about Judge Dredd and his relationships with the people of Mega City One and what life is like in that post-scarcity dystopian megalopolis. Uh, to that end, we're looking at Dread stories from all over Dread's history, and you can find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dread, the complete case files three, six, and seven. So, Eli, welcome back. Oh man, <laughs> happy to be back. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're just getting a chance to sort of, I don't know, we're we're looking at Dread's adventures, especially from the earlier days of his stories, um, just to, yeah to get a sense of um of this thing. Um, I learned a lot just from uh, reading these couple of pages. Oh, excellent. That That's great. Yeah, no, there's definitely like once you – I think you can get – like I've sort of picked some stories I, I, I think are fun or have stuck with me that really kind of give you an, an idea of, of this world. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of them all also feature um, art by, by one of my favorite Dread artists, Ron Smith. Yeah. Who's <laughs> great work. Yeah, there's almost all of them. He's got this uh, pen and ink style. It's got a lot of detail in the background and stuff. And yes. he, he does a lot of really great caricatures as well. Some, you know, like often the background of stories are just sort of showing up. Like, oh, like there's somebody, you know, looks very realistic right. and it's probably someone he knows or something. Um, yeah. Um, a question chronologically uh, where does this take place in relation to the previous uh, uh, one I read? Is this uh, before or after oh, that? All of this stuff is well before it. Um, okay. I um these the comics we were reading were set were in uh came out in a 1989 and were okay. sort of set around then or which is sort of I think um like 2110 and 2111 in Dread's future yeah. I guess um <laughs> the earliest of these stories came out in 1979 and nice. the latest came out in maybe 1983 okay that's awesome so yeah, it's nice where it all ends. Yes, yeah, so these are all very er- – like fairly early stuff, especially our first story is very much just sort of dread still figuring out what, what the character is like almost. Mm, um, I feel that. Yeah. But so I, I, I was talking briefly about Ron Smith. He he, um, he gets – he's the one – he's the guy who kind of gets the call for a lot of these um, like slice of life in Mega City 1 <laughs> stories. Mm. Like just sort of work a day, you know. Sometimes he'll destroy parts of Mega City One. Otherwise, he's just, he, other times he'll just sort of draw what it's like to live in there. Um, right. He famously worked in a very set schedule, which is that he'd sort of get his commission, like, like he figured out what, what he was going to get paid for, like a dread strip, for instance. And then he'd break that down into how much he wanted to get paid per, like per hour per page, basically. Yeah. And then set a clock. So it's like, all right, like if I want to get paid 20 bucks an hour for this page, then I can only work on it for two hours or something. And he just yeah. set that clock and that's how long he'd work on that on that page and then move on to the next one. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, Which I can is, tell a lot of uh, detail. All the pages have a, a certain density to them. Yeah. Uh, I, I could see like uh, based on hours, like this much hours in this page, this much is on this one. Even though some of them, I'd be amazed that some of these took the same amount of time. No, yeah. I guess there's always, in every page, there is a very high amount of detail. Definitely some things you probably could have skipped mm. and not drawn, and no one would have been the wiser, but put the effort and put that time in anyway. So, yeah, that, that's awesome. I yeah. really appreciate it. 
I appreciate it because I think with that story, you'd think that mean that sometimes pages would be unfinished or there wouldn't be enough work in it because you'd like hit the clock like that'd be it. But it often, yeah, like you said, means that often these these end up being very detailed and having just a lot of random things happening in the background and stuff. <laughs> um, we, we, we've also got one story by, by, by Mike McMahon here, and I think we might get some more of him elsewhere in this primer series. Um, I'm sure listeners here are, uh, can't wait to hear you, to, to hear your response to all the, uh, all the big dread artists, and we should be able to get to most of them in the course of what we're talking about here. There's a bunch of, uh, of, uh, big names that I'm, I'm definitely excited for you to get a chance to, uh, to check out. Nice. I'm excited too. Yeah, should be good. But let's get started with our first story here, which is City Block. Uh, City Block, uh, written by or and I should say, pretty much everything is going to be written by by John Wagner or John Wagner and Alan Grant, writing under, under the pseudon under various pseudonyms. John Wagner almost always uses a, or up until the late '80s, almost always used a uh, a fake name while writing. So most of these are like John Howard, for instance, and I believe everything's lettered by Tom Frame as well. Hmm. Uh, why did he go through uh, aliases? Was it just uh, keep his work life and his uh, um, I, well, life separate? Um, part of it, at least partial. Um, p- part of it was, that, or no, sorry. Let, let me start again. Actually, uh, uh, credits in, in English comics are actually pretty rare. Like it's something mm-hmm. that that in the seventies, two thousand AD, st- like they sort of got slipped in when there was an editor that was, when the usual editor was on vacation and a sub editor sort of like slipped them in when the, when the when the uh, substitute editor was wasn't looking basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's crazy! Like, they do a lot to um, previously. They do a lot to sort of hide who, like any the names of anyone involved with with writing um, the comics and stuff, just to kind of keep control of copyrights and things like that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Is it the man trying to keep the uh, little man down and prevent him from getting credit for the work putting in? A fair amount, yeah. But I think Wagner's pseudonyms are also because he was just incredibly prolific. Like Mm -hmm. he, there, there, there have been points where he he and his writing partner Alan Grant have written like all five stories in a in a in in an issue of 2000 AD for like months, or written large amounts of it, and also other comic magazines as well. And so I feel like there might have been some editorial pressure to also have him use pseudonyms just so it, it doesn't seem like that. <laughs> like it yeah. seems like there's a bunch of different people writing as opposed to one person being responsible for all of it, I guess. That's clever. All right. I like that. It's just sort of a lot of back and forth between the uh, publishers and uh, Wagner himself, you know. Yes. That's pretty cool though. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting stuff for sure. It's all these little like different – especially – these are diff- big differences between American and, or I guess a lot of other comics and the uh, British comics. Like, yeah. uh, I also, you're very well educated. I'm waiting for me to ask a question one day and you, your answer is, oh, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it's so, definitely uh, out there. Like I've, I've picked up a lot about the comics themselves, but mm-hmm. I get stumped a lot about um, like jokes and references and stuff like that. <laughs> like a lot of, like I try my best because a lot of times when I, I feel like when, when anyone would ask a question, I'm trying to be like, oh man, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> but I don't know. Um but to start here, I guess we um, – yeah, so City Block – this City Block story came from uh, Prague's 117 and 118, 
that's issue uh, 117, 118, 2000 AD, right after um, the end of two massive epic stories that sort of both uh, saw Dread leave Mega City 1 to go in an adventure through the wastelands of the Cursed Earth. And then come come back only to fight the tyranny of the evil uh, Chief Judge Cal. But afterwards, there was a move to kind of expand the actual, like, once Dredd had really cemented himself as a top character in 2000 AD, we're, we're, we're taking some moves to establish the city a little bit more. That's a big part of uh, of what's in the third case file of Judge Dredd, I guess. So just like, you know, it's like part three. It's like, uh, you know. Year three, like, let's sort of start talking about, about what the deal is here. And part of that, or talk about it more specifically, and part of that is the introduction of, of city blocks, which we see in this comic. Um, we, we sort of get an overview of a specific one, the, uh, the Charlton Heston block in Vegas City One. And we learn that each block holds about 60,000 citizens. You could live your whole life, hospital to crematorium in one single city block. <laughs> um, you asked before the show started if, if everything we'd see to Dread takes place in one city block, and 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 the answer is no. He he moves around between them a lot. He right. actually he actually has he actually lives in in a city block himself. The uh, the Rowdy Yates block, which mm-hmm. is named for Clint Eastwood's character on the TV show Rawhide. <laughs> nice, because there were a lot of you know when Dread came out, very like dirty, hairy Clint Eastwood kind of stuff. Um, hmm. and the, the names of these city blocks, as we'll see a little later, can vary between both real celebrities and like, uh, like characters on characters in TV shows and books and other things like that, like, like fictional characters as well as real people. Right. Yeah. No, I've uh, found this, uh, particular, uh, even these, um, city block chapters, very interesting. It, it seems like I understand what you were saying about it kind of establishing these things in the in the lore, kind of explaining how these things all got set up and the crazy, crazy things that could happen uh, yeah. within the blocks. So yeah, I found it very interesting. But yeah. it, was, it was things where it's like, oh, there's so much in here. I could see, like, if, if you would have told me all the Judge Dredd happens in this city block, I'd been like, okay, sure. Why, you know, it's... Yeah, I mean, it, that's... That's very much the the plot of the 2012 Dread movie with uh, Carl Urban, where it's very much just kind of like there's sort of one car chase at the start, but then the rest of it's just sort of him going up the floors in one main city, in one block. Right. Sort of like, (laughs) uh, you know, fighting crime and so forth. Right. But so, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, it's just uh, a tough job. Hopefully they get some good benefits. That's all. You know, they get the uh, they get the satisfaction of enforcing the law. <laughs> but so we we see Dredd sort of like like spot a guy and like call him out and the guy runs and he kind of runs through the whole city block. We kind of go through like like a park level with like a with a uh, with, with like swing sets and uh, and artificial ducks. Yeah, right. there's there's a beach and stuff. It's excellent. Yeah. Until um, I also like how they explain what each one of these things is for. They're like, hey, we have this tree and floor uh, area, so people can you know decompress and relax, and and then we have this beach area for people to you know uh, they can swim and you know do some recreational activities. Yeah, it's almost like it's thought out. Yeah, and they kind of talk about how it uses like holograms and stuff to try to, you know, and wave machines and things to try to recreate these uh, these places. 
I wonder if it works. I'd, I'd love to uh, follow uh, just a character going through these things. And do, I can, do you feel calmer when you're, you know, go to the beach, or is it like this is all a lie? I mean, yeah. as I, as I think we'll see, like everybody's pretty desperate and unhappy in Mega City One. Oh, that's <laughs> <No. right. laughs> this guy keeps running. He like takes a kid hostage, but Dread keeps coming after him. You know, he tries to escape in an ambulance and Dredd finally takes him down. Finally, like rips him out of the ambulance, arrests him. It's all this stuff. And he's like, why'd you run? Like, what's going on? And he's like, I don't know. I just panicked. And Dredd's, <laughs> it's just, all I and wanted. I was just going to tell you to pick up that candy wrapper you dropped. <laughs> so right. he's going to the cubes for year, going to cubes for 18 years because of it. <laughs> what is it? Uh, I did love this perp in particular. Uh, even if it was just uh, the use of uh, profanity that he decided to use, which was, <laughs> heck, uh, even taking hostages. He was very polite and cordial uh, with uh, everyone he was involved with. Uh, so yeah, he, even after all this, you're still like, oh, poor guy. Like, you got to yeah, take anti-anxiety medicine or something, man. Every time a cop speaks to you, you can't just run off in a sprint. That's, it's true. Absolutely. Serious, bigger issues going on in your life. <laughs> yeah, keep saying "Oh mercy" as he runs. You know, "Oh mercy," dreads after me. I gotta go. Right. I was just half expecting him just pass out and faint halfway through it. But, <laughs> totally uh, made it. Well, almost made it. Ah, no, nah, listen. There's no escape in the long arm of Judge Dredd. You know. I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. seeing what uh, Judge Dredd's going through. Yeah, he could have dealt with anything that this uh, litter bug could have. Yeah, no, he's yes. just – he's trying to take him alive, you know? <laughs> but that takes us to the second um, part of the City Block story, which is more about just sort of the the folks in Mega City 1. They talk about how like um, only – at this point, it seems only 13% of the population has work. But this will drop and I think in in 89 and, and, and 90 when, when we start reading the comics, it's going to be more like 5% or something like that. Um, otherwise, all the work's done by robots, basically. Like, I, I, did you, uh, you did you choose these particular comics to be uh, reviewed at this time, or was there like a time you they were selected in? No, no, no. Well, I picked these ones, and they're just sort of in chronological order of of, of publication. But Got it. I like this one I just because it is very like you know these are these very slice of life comics, you know. I thought it was very topical, this one, in our current uh, quarantine. Mm, yeah, you're right. Right. Uh, I was like, it was, is Conrad trying to drop some knowledge and uh, show me the error of my ways? No. Uh, no. I've Just uh, whatever. But it is one of these things, yeah, where now everybody's confined. You know, today everyone's confined to their home and trying to, you know, everyone's desperate to work and get out there and stuff in a similar way. Although we've just been, we're here for our safety as opposed to robots taking all of our jobs. So we, we are kind of living in our own city block. If you like, if you Ooh, follow that. a little <laughs> possibly. <laughs> Although I will say that unlike in our reality, in, in, in Dred's world, it is this um, post-need or post-scarcity dystopia where mm. like people – where the uh, the government does provide like food and housing for everyone. So right. the problem is boredom and not like not having enough money to live, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just in that uh, – the first page, these guys um – taking out the clean robot 
one three one. Yeah, and they're so excited about working. They yeah, they just, they just want to stop working. They they just want to mop up, but the robots took yeah. all their all their stuff. <laughs> and then I I love the guy. Uh, the next page. Uh, you're going uh for six months. He said, "I don't care. It was worth it." I'll do the same thing when I get out. You'll never stop me working. Right. We see that life. He's he'll, he'll be back on this uh hall mopping in no time. Exactly. We see a uh, a care a human uh a caretaker could get replaced by a robot one from the Benjamin Spock block. Call me Benji. And this robot does look pretty dapper. I don't uh that guy will definitely take your job. There's no way the human's going to be able to out job this robot that shows up. He's Very got, well done. yeah, he's got the, keys all yeah. over him. He's got a big arm that says out on it to like make to evict people. It's crazy. Right. I guess he just punches people with that when you're, when you're out. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Don't know. Oh no, it's, it's backwards. So, oh no, no, it's no? Yeah. It wouldn't work to actually stamp it on a door or something in the direction it is. So okay. I, I think it could be for, for face punching, which is disturbing, but that's how it goes, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> We see how things are getting rough. Like there's a labor – we see like a lady take – like at the labor counselor's office, uh, mm. use a can of super mace on him to take his job and take over as a labor counselor. <laughs> Everyone's desperate for work. You're not want to get hit with super mace. I found That's, that when I read that super mace, I could only imagine how much that must sting. It's the worst kind of mace. All right. I guess it, it, the guy was unconscious next. So I guess the pain was just so much. Yeah, just He's knock right. him out. Yeah, but so, but but because of all this boredom, it uh, invariably leads to leads to crime. People just do it, maybe just to do something, but otherwise, you know, maybe just to get some extra cash to spend or something. We see some bank robbers come out of the uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe block and dread, mm-hmm. like you know, takes him, takes some of out and chases the rest and stuff. Right. When Grand Theft Auto, you get so tired of that, you got to actually do some yourself. You just. uh you actually go try to rob banks in the real world just for the thrill. Exactly. It, it, it makes, it's oddly relatable. <laughs> yeah, he, he, Dredd gives chase. This guy comes out. He's a, he's a sniper. He's shooting everybody. He's shooting up the whole city and says, you, you know, he'll he'll never stop working. You'll never take me alive, Dredd. <laughs> but in the <laughs> end – well, sorry, say that again? Uh, that's kind of what they all say. Is, exactly, yeah. yeah. I'll be different. Yeah. But in the end, Dredd does take him alive and sentences – arrests him and sentences him to hard labor for the rest of his life. And he loves it. Right. Very <laughs> excited. Uh, Dredd's definitely the hero in this one. Uh, yeah. I think the real villain though is that guy's wife uh, just knitting while there's a shootout going on in front of her with uh, Dredd and her husband. Uh, <laughs> Yes. Uh, Don't forget to write, dear. Right. Just very calmly. Oh, Dredd, would you like some tea during this shootout? Like, uh, <laughs> no, lady. What's what what going on here? Uh, Lug- she was my favorite. Of, uh, I could understand the, the shooter. I could understand Dredd very mercifully giving this guy life. Uh, but uh, her motiv- motivation uh, eluded me. I guess oh, well, you know, she's found knitting to occupy her time, you know? So she's just sort of focused on that. <laughs> uh, it's rough. Now, I, I could see why the guy had to become a shooter. He was like, hey, you know, hey, why I got fired today? And she's like, yeah, yeah. So cro- this knitting thing I'm doing, you know, just 
got no one to talk to. I think, yeah, I, I, I think he learned the lesson that some people have learned during these quarantines, which is that their relationship works when they're only seeing each other for an hour or two every day at their respective jobs, but right. maybe yeah. doesn't work if you have to be at home with somebody all day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I really – um. Yeah. These city blocks and especially their celebrity names quickly become a staple of Dread's world. Um, and just sort of, yeah, there's always, and, and we'll actually see, see later in this episode, just like, all right, we're going to, to this block with this name or using them as, as a, as a landmarks and stuff. Um, but like we said, this is also an example of what I call Dread's like, or Mega City One's like post need or post scarcity dystopia. You know, everybody's, Everybody's got a place to live. They've got food to eat, but they're they're crushed by the boredom of the world this creates. To say nothing of the boot of the Justice Department crushing them even more so in this right. boredom, you know, it sort yes. of creates this powder keg that keeps these judges busy at all times, you know. Yeah. And speaking of uh, of uh, ways people live in Mega City One, our next next we go to sob story. <laughs> Uh, again, script robot John Wagner is John Howard, art robot Ron Smith, le- le- letting robot Tom Frame. This is a pretty classic story, but also um, for a couple reasons, actually. Um, for, it, it opens up with the mopads, which is a whole class of people who live on the endless, never-stopping highways of Mega City One. Like, in these, gi- in these giant RVs, basically. Right. I understood the RVs. I was confused about this never-ending highway. So are they just perpetually driving? Yeah. Are they, are they going somewhere? Or is- no, they're just sort of sort of making their way, like, okay. like just sort of driving around. Um, later, we'll see the introduction of like giant, like like super super cars that you can right. actually drive your car onto to be serviced and refueled and stuff. Oh, wow. But yeah. I think a lot of them have like nuclear batteries and stuff so they can, you know, just go, you know, n- nuclear batteries and autopilots and stuff that they just kind of keep going no matter what. Wow. Actually, in an, in an early Judge Dread, there's a story that ends with – or actually the first Judge Dread ends with a criminal being sent to prison. But the prison is like a devil – it's like a traffic island in the middle of a, of a superhighway that, that never ends. Or wow. where, where the traffic never stops, all the cars going two hundred miles an hour, so you can't leave, so, so you can't escape. That's crazy, man. Yeah, that's uh, also very interesting. Just learning these things about the world, or yeah, just underpinning all the giant city blocks are also um, both mopeds and like just uh, you know truckers and stuff, just just delivering things all over in these giant multi, you know, like ten lane highways where the traffic never really stops and people are. The, and 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 mopatters are constantly on the move. Like they they, right. they can't really park anywhere. So we have cities within these city blocks. We also have uh, these um, uh, vehicles that can are big enough to hold other vehicles. Yeah, as well. I almost feel like you can put a city in one of these vehicles as well. You can put it wouldn't be the same as like one of the city blocks, but uh, I see one of these. It looks like there's a there's palm trees in it. There's yeah. uh, 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 yeah. houses. Like you have communities in these vehicles. Yeah, definitely. They're, yeah, like they they get pretty big, and you can you definitely just like anything else live your life in one of these mopads pretty much. Man, it's crazy. Although you can also see that like most of these ones have signs where they're willing to exchange their luxury uh, mopeds for an apartment in a city block, you know. <laughs> 
would they even know the difference? I guess uh, I feel like the not moving as much would definitely be a be a big deal. Right, and then they freak out probably because the lack of uh, momentum. They'd be like, "Ooh, yeah, they gotta get their get their land legs back for sure." That's cool. So almost like they're sailors. I think the analogy of them being at sea almost. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. And they've been out there, just gotta kind of find a way to to get back down. But suddenly. One of these mo, one of these really luxurious mopads goes out of control, and Dred's got to jump into action. We see him jump from his bike onto the mopad just as it hits the median strip. And inside, and this thing is like gig, uh, inside this gigantic um, uh, 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 mopad, super luxury. He finds a dead, a dead body, skeletonized, floating in the pool. It's terrible. On investigation, it turns out this moped's been auto on running on autopilot for the last three years. Checking its mail, Dredd follows the trail to the TV show Sob Story, where people tell their tales of woe for cash donations. And uh, the host, Johnny Teardrop, is very over-the-top and silly, and he's kind of a caricature and reference to the 70s English TV show, to a, uh, a, a 70s English TV show uh, host. Oh, nice. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, I, did, I could tell he was a character. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, 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 Bruce Bruce Forsyth is the is the is the is the name of the real life person, and a lot of his um of teardrops uh, dialogue is a reference to thing Forsyth said on his TV shows. That's funny. <laughs> so, nice. like, uh, like a like a like a when this like when this first guy tells his tale of woe. Uh, uh, teardrop says, "Oh, that's the like good sob, good sob." And he and uh, actual Bruce Forsyth would say, "A uh, good job" when he'd host like a show about people doing talents and stuff like that. So it's sort of a reference to that. That's funny. Uh, yeah, and I also I don't know. I also took this as uh, not uh, you know you know sci-fi. This didn't seem too fantasy to me. It no. Actually- to reality it's very uh, much people like 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 going and pleading their case for uh for to, to get charity and stuff and a lot of it is like very gofundme-esque people right. with medical problems and needing to go to the organ bank and stuff like that right. yeah <laughs> yeah I, I wasn't surprised at all it's very like oh yes this seems kind of interesting or whatever but Dread learns that um, when they give, when they uh, uh, show people and um, be like, "All right, um, you know, send these people money," they get they broadcast their address. So it means that apparently some enterprising thieves have found these folks that have gotten a lot of charity and then killed them and stolen their charity, <laughs> the charity monies. Oh no! Right. Which means that there could be any number of mobile coffins out there. So to catch them, they bring in dun, 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 Otto Sump, the ugliest man of all time. Oh, it's was, so sad. Yes. Uh, I think he was my favorite character. Otto, uh, just, <laughs> Otto's uh, great, for sure. Uh, does he ever come back? Oh, yes. He, okay, perfect. Yes, Absolutely. Um, yeah, he's the ugliest man of all time, and he's been brought in as a honeypot to get all the money from the sob story viewers. We see him talking about how he like tried to get face change surgery and it didn't help. He right. he got a job as a rat scarer, but then he got fired because he was scaring the rats too much. All right? What is it? It was it was um, the particular 
his story touched me on it in a deep level. He said that he got face chain surgery eight times, but his ugliness was too deep. It was the type of ugly. Oh, man. Could. Uh, then he got a job as a rat scare, but then people who, um, who were for, um, yeah, uh, anti-animal like, cruelty types were like, were stop like, that. <laughs> we can't have that level of ugliness yeah. to the rats. That's inhumane. Uh, so I just have to see someone coming up and looking at that guy's face and being like, rats don't deserve this. And then we get. You gotta get, let this guy go. You, uh, you know, yeah, UGLY, he's got no alibi, you know? No alibis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that so was fun. they send him a ton of money. So everybody sends Otto Sump a ton of money. He's rolling in dough. And that's when yeah. a face change specialist coming say he can help Otto, but it's actually a robber trying to take all of his money. Luckily, Judge Dredd was hiding in the Murphy bed, and he's able to pop out and take this guy out. <laughs> right. It was good that he kept that Murphy bed. And, uh, all of his friends were like, you can't keep that Murphy bed, man. We're too far in the future. He's like, no, it'll come in handy. Trust me. High check uh, fold out bed. The past, is, the past is today, man. Take you out. <laughs> but so this uh this kill so th- this would-be robber is arrested and johnny teardrop is bankrupted meeting his final performance has to be to ask for money for himself <laughs> I, I think he gets the funding if i have to you know they, they kind of leave you on that uh cliffhanger i think he, yeah. i think there's enough people out there watching the show they don't want the show to end so for their own sadness, they're gonna they're gonna back his uh, Kickstarter or GoFundMe or whatever it is. Or, yeah, why uh, not? You know. Yeah. <laughs> I I will say that um yeah so besides so I like this so this is a real fun series. Besides the mopads, we also get a uh, get a look at like me- at out of this like the sob story TV show is kind of an example of just like Mega City One citizens obsession with fads and TV shows and crazes and stuff like that. They love TV and Mega City One TV gets pretty weird and dumb as as the years go by. <laughs> but as that's yeah. right. But the big the big recurring thing here is Otto Sump himself. He'll use this money to first try to start a line of beauty of a beauty boutiques hmm. and like salons, but <laughs> his native ugliness transfers into his attempt to restyle people, and he'll uh, instead make them hideously ugly. But yeah. that causes a massive fad, and people want to be ugly. That's what they're looking for, and wow. eventually forms a subculture of uglies within Mega City One of just these real. Just a whole class of sub of a, of a ugly folks walking around, and they uh, love it. The more ugly, the better. They love it so much. There's a real. There's a. There's a series where, um, like, there's a giant billboard for it, and it's just Otto Sump, like on this ho- on this holographic billboard pointing at specific people in the street, saying, "Hey, you, get ugly." <laughs> Oh man, and then so then he's styling. Now he's uh, oh yeah, now he's a tycoon. He's like a real uh, rags to riches, like um, inspiring story in Mega City One. You know, so is it is it one of those the rich get richer type of things? I mean, no, I mean you saw him before. He was like you know he did he could barely he could barely feed himself after he lost his rat scaring job. You know, yeah, that's true. 
and but, became an entrepreneur for ugliness. Yeah. He's got that down ugly. He harnesses natural talents to make a buck, you know? Right. Nice. <laughs> I like yeah, it's fun. I love Otto Sump. He's one of my favorite uh, Mega City One secondary characters. Um, but now we move on to think a, a little bit of a downer with Judge Minty. This um, is my favorite. Oh, yeah, this is a neat one. Absolutely. Uh, script robot John Wagner, art robot um, uh, Mike McMahon, Lego robot Tom Framer, one uh, non Ron Smith uh, story here. Mm, right. You can kind of feel that. The, the story is uh, different, the art style. Uh, changes up, but I think it's just I got used to uh, the previous artists. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that. it's definitely this is a Ron Smith heavy primer for sure. Hopefully, we'll see some more folks in the future. But this one's a real classic, uh, Judge Dredd story, and one of these stories that, that's just about how the Justice Department in Mega City One works, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll definitely have questions, uh, at the end of this one. Oh, absolutely, yeah, sure. Um, so we see Dread and another judge, Judge, judge Minty, uh, uh, blitz into a citizen's apartment. They uh, they uh, search it. Uh, Minty's looking for information on the Kovac mo- on the Kovac mob, and Dread doesn't care. He just starts going through looking look, looking through this guy's stuff, finds mm. burglary tools, an illegal firearm, even traces of tobacco. And oh no. With all the hard time he's threatened to, he uh, 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 this guy gives up the Kovach mob, <laughs> and Dred's like, "Oh, Minty, you're going tough on these guys, or or you're going easy on these guys." And Minty's like, "I know, you know, I'm just getting old. I don't know how that goes." Right. And Dred's like, "Come on, buddy, like let's like get your spirits up and go bust these guys." <laughs> right. Definitely, yeah, perk you up. Yeah, they ride in to the mob's warehouse. They come under fire. There's a lot of like bike moves and um gun gunplay and stuff. We get to see some of uh, the so Dredge gun shoots like six different bullets. We haven't seen it. Like I gotta find something where it uses all of them in one story or something. But the ones we see here are the uh, are the dodgems or ricochet bullets, which um he uses to which just like bounce around until they find a target like within a room. This is very helpful. Yeah, they're like you know, they really, they, if you know what's going what's going on, you can sort of use them. Yeah, to 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 flood the zone with bullets and stuff like that. Um, we see Dread take down a bunch of guys. Um, Minty tries to get one of the perps to surrender, but instead he comes up and shoots Judge Minty. No, uh, Dread <laughs> shoots him down. Luckily, and in the hospital, we see that Judge Minty has survived. But he's gone. He's gone too soft to be here in the city, and so it's time for him to quit. Right. I and did he, like that uh, kid. Uh, he'll never take me, and he's trying to talk the kid down. Yeah. Don't turn around. It's over. I don't want to kill you. Uh, too slow, yeah. old man. <laughs> I guess you got to be pretty soft for a guy crawling towards a gun, and then you're you actually allow him to pick it up and shoot you with it. It's a bummer. So, yeah. yeah. No. Maybe. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> and so Judge Minty retires, and the way judges retire is they leave the streets and head out into the cursed earth to bring law to the lawless in the in the Badlands. Right. Yeah, that's what I was curious about. The Badlands is that I thought there were. I thought was that a metaphor for him just being executed, or no. is that a place you can go? Yeah. So like, so Mega City One. Um, it covers the whole uh, eastern seaboard of the United States, sort of from Florida to like southern Canada, basically. 
Okay. And it goes maybe like a hundred miles inland or so. But beyond that, it's the cursed earth, which is basically yeah. the rest of America, which has been scorched by nuclear fire and a big atomic war in like the 2070s. I remember and, you telling me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just home to mutants. And there, there's like small communities and stuff. But there's also a lot of mutants and killers and weirdos and stuff like that. I see. So you're just in there uh, shooting them down, making trying to create order there? Is exactly. That- yeah. Although, you know, generally it is kind of a death sentence. Like you probably won't make it that long, but that's sort of, I don't know. It's a way to do it, I guess. I guess it's um, you're trying to, you're giving up all, you're sacrificing your life at the attempt of teaching some, getting some law out there is what it seems like. Yeah, exactly. A, a drop of order in the sea of chaos. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're trying to do something. And it just means that they don't have to keep, like, ineffectual older judges around, like, you know, possibly being more trouble than they're worth here in in the city. Right. And I found that interesting, though, because he he said he was going soft. It wasn't like, oh, you're you're getting too harsh on these kids. It was like he's actually getting some type of idea of sympathy or empathy for the – he's fighting so no a, uh, a judge could be as hard as you like it's when they get soft there's a problem <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i'd love to hear later on that turns out that's just what the badlands needed they just needed someone to care and a role model and Ooh, now they're maybe uh, picking the pieces up <laughs> something <doubt>. like that <laughs> yeah, yeah. we learn a lot about the long walk here which is going to be really important in the magazine um and just general sort of about what happens to a judge when they get older. We also see some judge technology here, including some of the different kinds of uh, of bullets that a uh, that that uh, that a lawgiver can shoot. And I'd be foolish to not mention that um, friend of the show Steve Green um, helped make a uh, a fan film that's actually about some of Judge Minty's adventures in the Cursed Earth. Oh wow! It's like twenty minutes long, like this live action film, of folks. Like of uh, yeah, just Judge Minty in the Badlands fighting mutants and stuff. All all us sent it to you. It's really great. Yeah, please. Nice. And that takes us to back to Ron Smith for the League of Fatties. Oh, yeah. This was my favorite. Uh, so we're jumping ahead several years here. This one's from um, Prague's 273 and 275. So probably about three years after the stories we, we were reading before it came out. Oh, man. So – uh yeah, so John Wagner and Alan Grant as T.B. Grover writing here, um, art about Ron Smith, letting her about Tom Frame. Um, so this story takes place in the aftermath of the apocalypse of the apocalypse war, which was this big, you know, I mean, war. It's a, it's it it it, it says it in the name, um, <laughs> right? But basically, uh, these uh, these Russian guys attacked um, Mega City One. Like the, uh, the 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 Sov sits they, they were called the 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 Sov cities they got their own Russian judges and things like that and they attacked Mega City One and basically destroyed the southern half of it basically mm-hmm. like everything from North Carolina south or so on the map of the United States was all destroyed and did they. Explain what weapons were used for this. Was it just nuclear? They dropped bombs. Or? Pretty much nukes. Yeah, okay. like like new like 
I think it was just sort of, yeah, like a, like a multi-megaton uh, nuclear warheads or I think some hydrogen bombs and other things like that to destroy. That'll do it. To destroy the city. Then they tried to take they, – they tried to conquer the northern parts of uh, – of Mega City One with like, you know, regular like uh, soldiers, but also like war robots and things like that as well. Mm. But so because of that war, there's now a massive food shortage in Mega City One. Oh, no. And that's toughest on the League of Fatties, which is a Mega City One subculture built around people who have become excessively fat, like 800 pounds or something like that. Massively. Right. And it's now, very proud as well, they're not, they're not embarrassed. They're not. Oh no! This, it's it's how they define themselves, you know. And now they're pissed. You know, big people need big meals. You know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so they organize into um, massive, you know, to in, into this uh, group, the League of Fatties, to try to uh, have their gluttony rights um, allowed in, but leads to obvious backlash. As um and even eventually people trying to um like say like ah oh, we should just eat these fatties like listen cannibalism's fine and dread just being real fast to say like uh, no get out of here you know right that, right it might have some disagreements with that way of thinking right yeah. but. I just love these big, like all these fatties organizing and stuff. We see one guy show like, oh, look at all the weight I lost. I'm like a walking skeleton. He's just got giant yeah. like, uh, you know, rolls coming off of him and stuff right. like that. You know, crowd being like for shame. <laughs> this is unacceptable. Terrible. Right. Oh, no. Right. Um, yeah. It's a part of, it's part of your personality and your uh, pride as a, a fatty. I mean, you, that's that's troubling. Yeah, I look suppose. At numbers are going down. It's upsetting. Yeah, they got a they one of the one of the league's Dick Porker chair fatty of the league gives an inspiring speech. <laughs> we can either fight or surrender ourselves to the nightmare horrors of skinniness, and they right. f- decide to fight for fat. They decide for fat. We fight. Yes, <laughs> I like this. Soon, it's like it's, just it's, uh, it's such a. Uh, uh, interesting take on that because I know as it, uh, in my experience I've seen a lot of people obsessed with skinniness mm-hmm. so yeah, uh, no, no, no. totally totally obsessed. in the opposite direction yeah yeah I, I really appreciate that <laughs> they come rumbling towards supply queues like a massive uh, mobile earthquake you know mm-hmm. try to you know breaking through floors and stuff as they go it's bad times <laughs> <laughs> Later, we see um, a food convoy coming through the cursed earth with relief for Mega City One, and we fatty kamikaze jumpers leap off of cliff sides to smash into these trucks. And we just generally, oh, go ahead, sorry. As a, that's dedication. I mean, uh, yeah, we, we deserve to win. I mean, they're using, they're throwing, they're putting their bodies on the line for this. We just gen- generally see them doing their best to try to um, steal these, ste- you know, get this food, and many of it just leading directly to at least several of them dying in the process, and just ridiculous, right. like right. falling from great heights type deaths and stuff. They try to do that seesaw thing where someone jumps onto a plank and sends someone else launching into the air, but the plank just breaks 
Excellent. Just good, good, good fat jokes. You know, I don't know. As a person of size myself, I appreciate this kind of humor, I guess. Um, in the end, there's just too much mayhem and they're taking up too, they're taking up too many resources. So Dredd and the new chief judge, Chief Judge Magruder, um, decided for a plan and it's to confine all the fatties to the segregation blocks. Until they get tossed into four um, special blocks just for the fatties. You can't leave unless you weigh less than 300 kilos, which is 661 pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's a solution. Uh, uh, also, it reminds me, um, uh, you were talking about the uh, the uglies earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do wonder if there's an origin story for the fatties as well. Because uh, there had to have been the first fatty. Definitely. Yeah, right. not that I've seen. Well, that's something mm-hmm. to keep an eye out for. Like we've definitely seen subsequent fatties become very popular and do stuff. There's one guy ate a ton of food in one setting, like a literal th- like like a thousand pounds of food. Um, another guy weighed two thousand pounds and became very popular. They called him two ton. Wait, maybe four thousand pounds. They called him two ton Tony. Oh um, yeah, that math. <laughs> And stuff like that. But, yeah, there's not – as far as I know, there isn't an origin story beyond just like, oh, yes. Like, listen, we've got this food. Like, let's start eating it. You know, why not? <laughs> but I would like to see like the origin of like the belly wheel, like these skateboards they put under their stomachs to help them get around and stuff. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, yeah, that's just sort of like – I don't know. I love this subculture of the fatties and then – um just this world that they find themselves in and stuff. I think it's really funny and just a real, like, I don't know. And, and interesting, um, like slice of life in this weird world of mega city one. Right. Yeah. And also like, even the, the very last panel, it's, uh, uh, sometimes a law may seem harsh, uh, citizens, but remember the good of the community must come before the appetite of the individual. That's that uh, pun training. Yeah. Yeah. So they still, uh, uh, it's not about you being fat. It's not about you eating a bunch of stuff. We don't care about that. But hey, we got to keep the law here. There's order. There's laws. Uh, so I, I, I like that them actually being fat isn't the problem. It's yeah. you know, We don't care about any of that. It's we got rules and regs in the, up in here. Yeah, you guys uh, are, are are causing a fuss. It's the fuss we don't like. Not the uh, not you guys specifically. Right. I think I, it's fine. Uh, uh, fun. Definitely, and I'll say also that the uh, the blocks they're con- that they're confined to are all famously fat people. Um, Orson mm-hmm. Welles was a uh, the movie director who was overweight. Uh, Tobias Belch was a was a an overweight character from the Shakespeare play The Twelfth Night. Uh, mm-hmm. Frank Frank Cannon was an was it was a character that the actor William Conrad played on the show mm-hmm. Cannon, and he was a big guy. And uh, William Bunter. Or W. M. Bunter there is a uh, a fat schoolboy character from early twentieth century British humor uh, uh, humor books. So cool. sort of extra jokes in here, you know. <laughs> That's cool. But that takes us to our final story: the graveyard shift. Oh yes, I think I'm not sure. I think this might have been one of the longest ones I've read. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this one takes like lasts like I think five or six ish. Yeah, like a. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yeah, it's a it's it's a seven prog story, so it's pretty long. It's 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 a it's a mini epic, I'd call it. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, it definitely has epic. 
yeah, it's got all these explosions and stuff. But I really – this is this is one of my favorite Dread stories just because it is very it, – it is trying to be this uh, night in the life of Dread, like literally. Right. And so you just see all the different crimes and different stuff that a Dread can get up to in a night. Right, yes. Plus – had a little trouble keeping up with all the things that were happening. It was just one thing after another. Yeah, really, it, it's all at a fever pitch of just all these different things coming in at once. Right. And it, it, I don't know. I appreciated uh, Dread kind of rolling with the punches every time. Okay, this is happening. All right, let's you know, all right, fix that. What's next? Okay, there, over there. I'm on it. And then just, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, definitely. And plus it gives us just a look in on some other uh, supporting characters Mm-hmm. Like uh, judges uh, Hershey and Anderson both show up in the course of this one. Right. So the graveyard shift starts and the sun sets on Mega City One where the night falls and it's time for the midnight sh- – for the graveyard shift to start. See, Dread Deal with muggings and a citizen running amok in the middle of the t- of town. Uh, takes care of both those pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, well, you know, you just got to roll through. He's, you know, he's on a mission. He's got a bunch of other stuff to do. So, like, you know, yeah. I appreciated the speed in which he handled everything. Uh, mugging, shoot that hand, shoot the knife out of that guy's hand. Uh, all right, lock him up. A uh, guy's running amok. Uh, drive by, hit him in the jaw with this thing. All right, drive yeah. off with, with, with your handlebar. Move along. It's definitely a lot of like calling things in. The, a, a big thing. For judges in Mega City One, is they'll sort of like the judges do all the arresting and sentencing and stuff, but I believe there are some civilian counterparts doing other things. So mm-hmm. they'll sort of arrest somebody and sent and call in their sentence, and then say like, and, and then sort of chain them to like posts in the like that are specifically there in the city for judges to um, handcuff people to. Wow. And, then, and then, and then, like, like a catch wagon rolls through and just picks everybody up and takes them to the uh, to the to the ISO cubes. Right. And even with that, there's still so much that they miss. Uh, oh, absolutely. Out here, that's like uh, we've been in here for this much time. This is how many crimes have happened. This is how many people have died, and that number just keeps on climbing as the as it goes on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's just this like sense of. Um, of going through, yeah, we like we see first. There's like, like, yeah, we were 51 minutes into the graveyard shift. This is how the first comic ends. There's been 9,000 serious crimes um, reported right. so far, and that's a quiet night. Right? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> we see a lot of like, uh, yeah, we do see a lot of um, uh, city blocks here. Like, like Dread sees some folks by the Stratford Johns block, who was a who, who, who was an actor famous for a t- for a, a British TV show, and a lot of uh, you know he calls in like he, he calls it in, and we see a lot of judges responding and stuff. A good mix of all these different um, lawmen helping helping out, taking out these perps and stuff. Yeah, what is that? I thought that was interesting because um, uh, we have someone kills a judge. Uh, uh, with an axe, which is yeah. a way to do it. Uh, <laughs> and then they uh, cut to this guy just going to this talk show being like, I'm very lonely. Can someone help me? And they're like, well, you're boring. We don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> but just, no help at all. In fact, brought out a boring meter and was like, hey, we noticed you're a uh, 55% pretty, pretty. on the bor- borometer. Oh, and man. Then, yeah, that, that was harsh. But yeah, then Judge calls in, hey, I 
found these perps that we think killed this previous judge. Uh, who's in on this? And then you have uh, roll call. You have yeah. uh, uh, yeah. cops, uh, Sullivan, uh, Keeler, Harrison, and Dredd all responding. And they uh, make quick work of that. You got to come down harsh on these uh, on these judge killers for sure. I don't know. Did they just kill all five of those people or just, yeah, we're done with this. We don't need to. It looks Isn't like they, they've, they've taken out most of them. Like if there are survivors, they're certainly going to the cube for the, the cubes for a while. I, I uh, appreciated that swift justice. You're a judge killer. Yeah. We gotta, uh, gotta, gotta bring take, the- yeah, we can't, can't, can't let these judge killers go free. Right. At the same- that wasn't the only judge killer that night. No. Uh, later. Yeah. At the same time, that depressed guy um like jumps out like like jumps out of a building and Dred's just kind of like, all right, just send a cleanup squad, I guess. Oh geez. That was harsh, but I understood. Uh this is based on that constant um uh update on like deaths and crimes going on really gets you a sense of uh what the judges have to go through every night. Because uh, you know, there's a part of me that was thinking, oh, you guys aren't being patient. You're not getting these things done. But then when you look at the numbers, you're like, they really don't have the time. Where they? What's going to? Some guys jumping off a building. Yeah, he's just he's just going from crisis to crisis. You know, what I mean, yeah. we see him him go from that um go from that body to a robbery in process, and he just sort of calls it in. And they're like, all right, how many people are 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 are, are in there? He's like, I'll let you know. You know. That particular panel I really love is that close up, the uh, teeth, the gritting, the jowls. That was really well done. Definitely. I'll let you know. Yeah. He goes, takes these guys out, gets attacked by a guy with a jet pack and shoots him too. And that guy explodes and finally calls it in. Um, What is it? (laughs) Uh, You got uh, five stiffs control. One of them is going to take a little piecing together <laughs> forensics uh, are gonna love you dread yeah it's excellent yeah. stuff <laughs> <laughs> then we see um a boinger and this is someone who uh there's this um like plastic stuff you can get that that is really bouncy and you can kind of get encased in a ball and, and go bouncing around the city um and it looks like uh just based on the panels he was wasn't quite finished with that last call on the bank heist before just immediately turning around and there's a, a, a boinger just right there, like boinging about. Yeah, he's got to right. got got to call it in, so someone so, some other judge takes care of it. You know, <laughs> right. just hits it with an incendiary, and he goes flying onto the top, gets stuck on the top of a train. Scrape him off the crosstown zoom at the next stop. <laughs> right, uh, and it almost seems like, I mean, that much crime, that much death. Is it just boredom? I mean, would it be better just to give people back their jobs, or at least give them fake jobs, something to keep them occupied uh, and miserable, so they don't just become boingers and rob <laughs> banks for the fun of it? You'd think so, but I feel like the you know you, you can't make those kinds of discussions to judges. You know, they can't uh, yeah. handle it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> this leads to a uh, in turn it leads to a uh, a gang fight. Between a couple Ooh. different gangs, including the uh, you know the 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 Y brats and other stuff like that, they're all like you know um, rumbling together. And as that goes on, then finally, there's also like snipers breaking out in the city. Um, great, you know a uh, a sonic weapon. Um, someone with a um, 
cursed earth mutants are trying to infiltrate the city. There's a got the sonic weapon and the Larry Hagman conaps. Fires going off everywhere. Oh, it's just, you know, typical night, I guess. The graveyard shift's hotting up. Right. It's a it's a light night as well. It's not even that uh not that crazy. Um <laughs> one thing I really liked about this whole series is that some things came to conclusions, but some things were just like and then those mutants are coming back in again. It happens. Anyway, on to the next thing. Just kind of uh, just summing it up. Just um, uh, Yeah. Just, it, it's like here's a, here's a little thing that's happening that we can't even deal with. You know, we got to move on to the next, the next part of the, you know, part of the story or the next thing that like Dredd's doing. And he's not even involved in this situation. Trying to tread the water of crime, I guess. It was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, in the in the next section, we see Dread trying to uh to quell or yeah, we we see like Mega Citizens just deciding to have a big party as a power station burns. <laughs> We're barbecuing, and as Dread tries to quell that, there's more stuff go. You know, the judges try to try to make everybody else like stop grilling hamburgers in the middle of this fire, and everyone's like, "No, come on, man! It's a free city." <laughs> Right. It's like no, thank you. Some some mutants get shot down, and we learned that there's now eighteen um violent robberies, ninety seven serious assaults, four murders, and point oh five riots, <laughs> and uh, a hundred and seven traffic offenses happening every minute. Right, <laughs> man. Do they just need to hire more uh, judges? I mean, I don't know what they can do about this. They try to, but, you know, even though there's a suicide of a regular citizen every 45 seconds, so far three judges have died in the line of duty, and it takes 15 years to train one judge. Mm. Man, that's just time down the toilet. It's rough. It's true. Mm. Dread arrests one perp who's got sharpened teeth. (laughs) And he knocks him out and checks uh and uh checks that he's got bite marks on his back. Have you been biting, son? Or how long have you been biting? And he right. learns about this uh crazy bite uh a bite fight ring going on in the city. Right. Oh man, yeah, just uh thinking about that bite fight ring, uh uh, gave, gave me chills. Uh, yeah, definitely. It leads to dread leading a bust on an illegal bite bite pit. Can you imagine you're in a bike fight and then uh, you go home, you check your wounds and there's a tooth in your wound? Like, oh, gosh. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard times. These bike fighters, you know, if they got their hands tied behind their back. They're biting each other up. <laughs> Dread goes in to stop it. And um, the crowd tries to go and, and folks try to escape from him. But someone else is waiting at the door. Oh, it's Judge Hershey. And she el- and she uh, elbows a bite fighter in the teeth and knocks all of his teeth out with her elbow pad. It's awesome. Right. I thought that was funny because uh, the guy's like, let's go this way. There's only a girl judge there. And I was like, ooh, wrong move. And then, yeah. Just bite on <laughs> this and elbows him right in the face. You obviously didn't know who you were talking about. That's Judge Hershey right there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. They quickly quell the bite fight, and uh, Judge Her- and uh, both Dread and Hershey assign the uh, the junior members of their teams to uh, do the paperwork, and then they both ride out on um, together. We don't have time for paperwork right now. We got more things to deal with tonight. This is really the start of Dread hating paperwork and making other people do it. You know. <laughs> 
Because of that, um, the two of them are now just sort of at liberty on the city. And so they decide to like break, just to go to some random apartment, apartment um, block and just do some crime swoops, which is pretty much just like kick in the door and see what illegal stuff they're doing just in case. <laughs> Meanwhile, across the city, oh, geez. The Vincent St. Clair City Defense Force are preparing to invade the Carol Monroe block. And so a lot of these blocks have city defense forces, which are supposed or, – or city defense, which are supposed to be like a militia inside the block that if there's invaders, they'll help fight them. Mm-hmm. Right. But I can tell you from when Mega City 1 was actually invaded, these guys were way more um, hurt than help. <laughs> and mm. See. Also, for, form a staging ground for just some real massive disasters in his in Mega City One because it's like, all right, I hear, here's a bunch of guys with guns. Like, all right, bad times. <laughs> we see the two blocks fighting, just massive like bullets fi- firing between the two blocks. And I should tell you, I guess that uh, Vincent St. Clair and, and Carol Monroe were both um, characters on a TV show called Coronation Street in England. Which is like a British uh, soap opera, basically. Okay, nice. And so they like kind of like, – I don't know. I guess they like didn't like each other or something. And so this is sort of a joke because it's like um, these two – you know, these two city blocks are fighting. And it's like these two characters w- would be fighting as well. That's funny. It'd be like if like the Tom and Jerry blocks were right next to each other or yeah. something like that. That's fun. So they're fighting like crazy. It's a whole thing. And eventually – um, Dread manages to break, or or the uh, the judges are working on settling the block war. Meanwhile, Anderson and Hershey are doing crime swoops, and right. eventually um, f- find this one guy who's got a uh, like an antique gun and eighty seven grams of uh, of a uh, sugar, and so he gets sent to the cubes. Right? Is sugar illegal, or is that? Oh really- yes. Okay. No. Uh, sugar, alcohol, tobacco, all that stuff's illegal in Mega City 1. I think meat might be, wow. or at least like you have to have a license or something for it. That's funny. So there have been like uh, like Judge Dredd stories where it's like, oh, yeah, we're bringing in like two tons of, of, uh, of the pure white stuff, and it's turned out to be sugar, you know? <laughs> It's, it can be dangerous in the wrong hands, admittedly. So I mean, I, you know, they're trying to keep these folks uh, uh, healthy, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> don't want them all wired up on I mean, it's white. Yeah, on, on that, uh, I don't know, on that Hawaiian marching powder or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes it crazy to think that the fatties all got so big, they didn't even have like regular candy and cakes and stuff, you know, right. to get there the old fashioned way. Yeah, I mean, what is it? I um, uh, went on a diet once, uh, paleo, where I took cut out grains, and I ended up losing a bunch of weight. So maybe they're just, just a bunch of bread, you know? You just yeah, it's yeah. all it's all it's all some grains, and a lot of it's this stuff called munts, which like it's sort of like a futuristic tofu or something. It's kind of this melon that grows in the shape of a human head, and then gets processed into a bunch of other stuff, basically. <laughs> Of a human head? Yeah. They've gone to Munt's fields and they're quite disturbing. Wow. That's all right. There's some darkness in there somewhere, but uh, we'll, we'll Dark- get to that one. Yeah. Darkness everywhere, I assure you. Uh, 
So Dredd gets the call about the St. Clair Monroe con- um, uh, war and goes to and goes to check it out, um, leaving Hershey behind for the what hundreds of people they've arrested in this block, <laughs> dozens at least. Yes. Um, so he leaves her to process all these guys <laughs> as um, as he runs off to the block war. Meanwhile, mob blitzers who are like mafia assassins are, are just shooting up nightclubs. The judges are running off the cursed earth mutants, you know, and the, and the, uh, Carol's and, and the Carol Monroe blockers are like bringing in like, uh, underground explosives to try to take, try to win this battle once and for all. As also paraglide assaulters are brought out and it's all pretty awesome. <laughs> right. It's a crazy night. It's a, I give a lot of creativity to the creator for all this wackiness going yeah, on. Yeah, I, I think Wagner, Grant, and Smith are really just like, all right, like, what's just like, how much chaos can we get in like right. a concentrated situation, you know? Uh, yeah, there's just all these guys flying through the air. Dred's pick, you know, the judges are picking them off and stuff. And then finally the bombs go off and one of these blocks just completely falls into a hole and you just see Dred looking up with his massive frown. Drock! You know? Yes. <laughs> what else can you do in that situation? Nothing else, know. you know? <laughs> yeah. Carol, Carol Monroe crumbles. Whole plaza starts to go with it. They're falling into the into the undercity beneath Mega City One. The Vincent St. Clair block goes as well. Oh, they've been hoisted on their own petard. What? It's one of those, what else can happen on my shift? You know, like, uh, I don't know if that's a common occurrence, but I, I mean, that's you know, yeah, j- Just one night in Mega City One, you know. They arrest a bunch of perps, and then, as you do, someone calls out, "Ah, my baby!" Right. Judge gotta gotta climb through a collapsing city block to try to pick pick up this kid, and then he tosses it to the judges just as he himself starts to fall through the block. Oh no! He falls and just managed to catch himself doing some sweet moves to uh to avoid falling to his death. Oh, it's excellent times. <laughs> the blocks collapse and stuff. Oh man. Yeah. It's it's real awesome. They continue, they finish detonating the blocks because they say it's like unstable, right? Like Yeah, like we can't just let these uh we can't let the ruins of these blocks hang around and be a hazard to people. So right. we're just going to sort of uh, 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 destroy them and, and level them all. Right. So many dead, so many, much money lost, so much housing removed. And, and now all the citizens, all the survivors are, are, are headed to be, um, to be questioned for their involvement in the block war. <laughs> <laughs> the, the innocent will be given new homes. The uh, you know, however many were were involved in the fighting are all going to the cubes for who knows how long. All right, man. <laughs> so now Dread gets called off to the big. Oh, first Dread gets like uh, fixed up. They like do like some uh, some quick medical work on him to fix his arm for that that he injured. But then yeah, he gets located for it. And then he gets called out for his final call of the night because um, a bag of left hands has been found in Sector 93. So he's mm. got to check it out. There's a real nice cityscape as he does. You can see like all these massive like um, like overlapping um, highways and giant buildings. 
I think you can see that, like, um, there's the, the, the Hall of Justice, the Statue of Liberty, and the yeah. Statue of Judgment next to it, which is just a big, <laughs> a big ju- judge standing next to the Statue of Liberty being like, hey, like, you know, watch yourself. <laughs> and it looks taller than the Statue of Liberty it's as well. absolutely <laughs> taller than the Statue of Liberty, yes. And that's a, a good landmark to keep in mind as we get to, um, to the magazine as well. <laughs> Things are heating up. We see mutants in um, in holding pens. Uh, a spaceport crash causing people to um, causing uh, first responders to come out, and even um, some sort of a alien um, nature exhibit has has gone crazy. And there's a, just a giant centipede monster eating people all over the city. Um, this takes us to Recyc, where the dead of Mega City One are recycled into useful products and. Mm. Tasty. Yeah, you know, among other things, for sure. And Dredd learns that there's been this killer, or, yeah, that we see that uh, someone has been killing people and leaving just their left hands be- um, behind, which is real weird. And Dredd's got to investigate, because we got another, we got a genuine crazy on our hands. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> So this leads us to the final part of this story. Oh, man. Just late at night, 03, 15 hours on the graveyard shift. Some dude's just rolling through the city with a disintegration pistol. And he's blasting people with it, turning them to dust except for their left hands. (laughs) He, like, blasts one guy's head and then blasts his girlfriend as well. He's leaving their hands behind. As he does, it's like, there's no time for explanations. I'm behind schedule. And as he kills him, he counts, like, 113. (laughs) These hands are real weird. And so they got to pull in the specialist for this kind of stuff. As judges are finding just random hands scattered around the city. You know, this guy's either getting sloppy or he's run out of bags to put the hand in. The hands in. (laughs) Because of that, they call in Judge Anderson. Ah, yeah, it's Judge Anderson. Who is a a psych judge. She's got psychic powers and stuff. Oh, nice. Um, It's sort of a a subgroup of judges in Mega City 1. These side judges that can... um, you know, sometimes there's there's psychic and can sort of read minds. So there's pyrokinetics that can throw fire. There's um, people who can see the future, all kinds of stuff. Nice. And so she uses her powers to look into these hands and find a description of the killer. Finally, the graveyard shift is past its peak and the judges uh, close in on this disintegrator killer and eventually arrest him. Right. He goes pretty easy. Oh, yeah. You know, once the jig is up, he kind of gives up. He was trying to, you know, he, he like actually says like, oh, here's a bunch of hands you might have missed just in case. Right. Yes. Did you get they uh, say you killed this many people at least? He's like, what? I killed way more than that. Did you find these hands and those hands? <laughs> I left some in the trash on this street. Yeah. Uh, I was going for the record, guys. The high score. Yeah, which is apparently 134, done by right. Mad Tony Newton in 2102. Yeah, he only got to 129, uh, at least, to his count. Yeah. Still, so he, he's close, you know, yeah. nearly made it. Right. Uh, but yeah, the whole prison, all that, he doesn't care about any of that. He even goes on to be like, hey, on your report, uh, make sure you put my name in there right. Uh yeah. Uh, maybe I could even get 
uh, most dismemberment section. Maybe I could get a consolation prize. Yeah, yeah, he's going for those secondary world records, you know, where it's like, okay, if I can't be the guy who who balanced a plunger on his nose the longest, could I be the American who balanced a plunger on his nose the longest? (laughs) I just want to get the book, you know? By 0430, the graveyard shift is winding down. Crimes drop dramatically. Uh, road crews go to fix everything up <laughs> that's been destroyed. A lot of robot laborers and stuff. All of the uh, cursed earth mutants are ki- are kicked back out into the wilderness. And some real good images of just a massive crowd of weirdos with funny hats kind of going right. back out there. I even like the guy who has the four arms. Like, hey, I don't know why... They can't see that having forearms is a positive step forward in for the human race. Like he's trying to make his case, like to yeah. his buddy. Yeah, I don't know. The orc guy next to him, like, yeah, man, you're right. Like that's that's a reasonable point. I don't know. I do wish they would have gone more into how they're going to repair that city block. Uh, the because it it crum- crumbled, made a hole, which then didn't it create another hole below it because yeah. The so I want to hear more about how they're going to repair that. But I guess I, that they're probably, probably just going to pave over it and then build build something else on top of it. You know, this whole a lot of mega city ones built over existing cities that were already there. You know, like there's a fair amount of like catacombs and undercity like a troglodyte infestations and God knows what else down there. You know. Yeah. Okay. So um, they're probably going to grind up all those buildings that have crumbled and use that as pavement or some type of foundation. Yeah, pretty I, much. And then build something on top of it. It's fine. Don't worry about it, you know. And presumably, <laughs> they're just always building new city blocks to replace these these ones that are destroyed and other things <laughs> like that and create more housing stock, things like that. San Francisco over in California, kind of. It's just perpetually being constructed. Man, San Francisco wishes it had that space, you know? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but so we see them like, you know, now it's sort of the start of a new day. Weather control like uh, sets up the uh, the weather. And one last would-be uh, roof jumper contemplates jumping off the side of a building, but then goes back to bed. There's always time tomorrow. Right. It's true. Yeah, yeah don't wreck. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Um, and finally, the judges all head into the sector house. The graveyard shift is over. They get in the sleep machines. And in 10 minutes, they get the equivalent of a night's rest. And then it's back out to uh, it, 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 it's it's back out because the day shift has just begun, uh, which gave me a lot of questions. Uh I don't know how well Dred's uh, shoulder was relocated, but I mean, mm. uh, does that does it give you the same healing properties of sleeping for uh, uh you know eight hours, or is he gonna just go out into the day like, man, my shoulder is still killing me? Hey, Dred can Dred can play through that pain. You know, he's that's why he's a senior judge, basically. Right, and also, do they ever take breaks or like vacation that time or like? I th- uh, I think if you were injured, they'd probably shift you on to like an administrative job or something like that. But I think you. most of the time, day to day, if you're a street judge, you're very much just um, or like, and, and maybe it's one of those things where it's like you work for a couple days straight on the sleep machine. Mm, and then I maybe see. you you come off for a day or two to like sleep naturally and like finish your paperwork and stuff. But otherwise, you're sort of back out in the street right away, you know. I can see that. That's crazy. That's a tough job. Yeah, man. I guess, 
everyone's dying for a job. So I guess they can't really complain. Well, it's tough to be a judge. You get inducted at age five, 15 years at the academy. You know, it takes some training. That's what I'm trying right. to say. Awesome. So what do you think? This is different than the special. This is just a bunch of stories sort of from the weekly 2000 AD progs. How'd you like get your get your feet wet with some more dread action, Eli? What do you got any like takeaways or thoughts here? Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, what makes a story believable in my eyes are those little things, things mm-hmm. that maybe the main plot doesn't really go over. So these little snippets that are kind of like, hey, this is a day, this is a night in the life of, you know, a judge. And uh, this is what that city's about. You know, this is yeah. how bound up they are. You know, uh, Joe Schmo, the litter bug, you know, what's what's he about? <laughs> yeah. It, there's a bigger picture there's these things going around and that there's thought put into even these small interactions um so i i I really like that uh i think it makes it so that when these big crazy things happen uh you believe it more and there's more investment into it uh yeah definitely yeah creating a city to destroy that that you kind of care about or have a sense of for sure yeah there's a yeah the, the hero's journey going on to the uh always when the world's in danger or you know the, someone's life's on the line uh it gets old because there's no real you don't care about the world you don't care about that person's life but uh yeah if you told me that uh ugly guy was being held ransom i'd be like oh we got to save ugly guy i mean what yeah. what are we gonna do if something happens to him uh, absolutely yeah it's interesting it's important stuff you know yeah uh so i always take it as, as important as some of the uh lo- these Tiny brushstrokes are as important as those uh, large brushstrokes or the painted canvases. Nice. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I love this little slice of life of Mega City One stuff. We'll see some more sort of bigger things as we go by, but I feel like it's important to have this baseline of what it's like to live in Mega City One as, as we go forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Awesome. I hope everybody enjoyed this trek into the history of Judge Dredd. We're going to do a few more of these to prep for the magazine. Until then, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site, BigMegOne.com. Feel free to contact us at SpaceSpinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2000 forums, or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at SpaceSpinner2K. For everything else, go up SpaceSpinner2000 or Big Meg One, and you should find us there. And come back next time as we'll learn more about the people and politics of Judge Dredd's world. In this case, a heady mix of democracy and the artist Kenny Who. Until then, I'm Conrad, there Eli, and we are the Judge Dredd Magazine Primer. Splunting Earthling!